1: Hey, this is hey Matt. Friends,
4: welcome to the <laughs> yeah, and and this is Ben, and uh, we just talked <laughs> right at the same time. <laughs> 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 this part of the uh, part of the uh, uh, COVID. This, thing. this happened earlier. We recorded a podcast earlier. Uh, I, I recorded one with uh, Ben Hardman earlier with Todd Bolsinger, Just a little, a little preview. Uh, keep listening to this podcast until the fall when we have this uh, new leadership <laughs> series. We have so many. Uh, episodes in the can anyway but uh the same thing kept happening where we kept kind of talking over each other and so it's like these little internet delays that people are talking about with Mm -hmm. zoom meetings and stuff Mm -hmm. that make uh it just makes like talking to people really tiring first world probs yeah first world probs but still it's uh it's a weird thing anyway welcome to the gravity leadership podcast uh glad you're here um we've got brad jurzak an interview with brad jurzak Today, yeah, who uh, is one of them? He's one of my favorite guys. He's in I, my top five. Guy he's guy. in my
2: top five guys.
4: Top five De- guys I like,
2: definitely. To to, yeah, definitely top with. five Canadians.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: right. I don't have to think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but Brad, we have no learned so much. No from offense Brad. to you, Canadians. I'm sure we learned all so wonderful. much from Brad, and we've learned. Uh, he kind of combines sort of a Jesus centered sacramental spirituality that yeah. resonates with you and I a lot. And
1: um,
2: not, not everybody in gravity that resonates with, but I think even when, even when I was pre-sacramental, I still (laughs) was sort of fascinated by people who were sacramental just because I was like, you you guys see things I don't see. And this is weird. So anyway, (laughs) he talks mostly about how uh, Jesus demonstrates a way of being human in the world that is um, brilliant and uh, true. Um, And so this interview is great uh brad's great and we should just probably get to it
1: yeah
4: we'll let uh we'll we'll let brad uh speak for himself in this interview so anyway yeah he's an adult he can speak he's an he can he can speak for himself anyway folks glad you're here here's brad
2: Brad Jerzek, welcome to the podcast.
5: Thanks for having me.
2: It's great to have you back. And uh, you keep writing books that are necessary for the church, and we have to have you back to talk about this. So, yeah, look r- what you've done. Look what you did. You keep doing this, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Brad, uh, remind our listeners where you are and what you're up to with your life.
5: Yeah. So, I'm in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, on the wet coast, about two miles from Washington State and so not far from the epicenter of covid-19 yeah hmm. uh, which has caused me to cancel my next let's see march april may i'm i've no gigs till june now because of this and wow. as a result i get to work on my next book a more christlike word
2: oh, oh. is it on
5: scripture it's on. Jesus is the Word of God, and Scripture points to Him. How do we work that out? Oh, so boy. yeah, it will be mm. like it'll fill in any blanks that Pete ends has left behind for me.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, he he likes Pete likes to blow things up,
4: yeah. and then uh, it sounds sounds like you're trying to reconstruct from the rubble. Yeah. a little bit.
5: I don't Which know. Is a good we'll project. See. We'll see. I hopefully it won't just be a grenade in the door. But I think yeah, all Scripture prefigures the. The Christ, and yes. so I'm I'm looking forward to releasing yes. that eventually. But for now, we have other things to chat on, I guess.
2: Well, yeah. yeah, you wrote this book that's been really helpful to us and the people we love and interface with, A More Christ-like God, where you talk about how Jesus is the revelation of God and how we start with Jesus and work out our doctrine of God from Him. And then you follow that up with a book called uh, A More Christ-like Way. Um, and in this book, you lay out what is the texture, what is the aesthetic of mm-hmm. a Christian life, and how is that Christ-centered, cross-shaped, and how is that distinct from other ways of life? Uh, Brad, maybe just to begin with, why was this book necessary in your mind for you to write?
5: Yeah, well, initially I thought, you know, maybe it was would sort of be like, um, you know, in Paul's epistles, where we sometimes think of the earlier part of the epistle as it's theological, and then after that, he moves into the practical. And I suppose there's a, a, a way in which that's true, that, that this now works out a cruciform theology into a cruciform way. But I um, I think there's a deeper layer than that. And that is, whereas the first book talks about Jesus' revelation of what it is to be God, this one is Jesus' revelation of what it is to be human. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that he lays out the, the, the way in which we become human, and he charts that way and calls us to follow him on it. Hmm. The problem being that other ways have tried to co-opt his way and called, call themselves Christian, um, when in fact there's, a, there's some real uh, clear facets to the, this diamond that I tried to lay out, at least seven elements of the Christ-like way as Jesus lived it. So I'm not coming from place of arrival or great experience. Um, at best mm-hmm. I could say is it's a confessional of my struggle to walk the way he perfectly established.
4: Yeah, that's really good, Brad. I, I, uh, I'm reminded of uh, N.T. Wright's quote, which has stuck with me uh, for quite a while, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, if you want to find out what it means to be God, look at Jesus. If you want to find out what it means to be human, look at Jesus. That's exactly it. That's a that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good theology. Yeah, a, a pretty good framework for writing a book. That's really good.
2: So maybe to get the conversation then started, what, you're using this metaphor of way, and we use this too at Gravity to describe. Um, well, maybe instead of me, instead of me summarizing what you mean, maybe you <laughs> could tell what you us mean. what why this word and what what work is it intending it to do.
5: Yeah, I don't know. I, I was hoping
2: you'd summarize it and you'd get your <laughs> reflection right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Go. Give it a go. Okay. So, I, I, to me, there, there's a um, way describes the method and manner in which one carries or postures themselves in the world. There, there's a logic, and a and an architecture. There's assumptions, and there's a I would say like a relational aesthetic, and that to me like. I know that's super. It's a word salad, but to me, that (laughs) to me that like is is what work the word way is doing when I use it, and I just want to know: am I just projecting my own? Am I projecting what I do with that word onto Hmm. your book, or are you Hmm. doing something different?
5: Hmm. Well, I I think you're you're really you're really expanding, uh, and maybe you're actualizing it there. So before we do that, let's just use it as a metaphor. Then, what is a way? It's a way is, is a path, it's a road, it is a direction, it, is, it implies journey,
1: yeah.
5: um, and I'm picking it up, up really from, from the scriptural metaphors. Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, and then you know, there's a way that leads to life, there's a way that leads to destruction, there's a road, there's a path, and then Jesus says, uh, now take up your cross and follow me. Uh, Mm. I'm the way Yes, and so so followers of the way followers of the way and so it it has to do with orientation it has to do with lifestyle it has to do with daily practice it has to do with the imitation of Christ so I I avoided all your words and said the same thing perhaps Mm. Um, but I really want people to have have that in their imagination is this road and that we're on this road Mm. and this road is going somewhere and there's a way to 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 go astray from that road that leads you into ditches on the right and the the left ideologically, for example. Hmm. Um, And that this, and that it's the way of the cross. It's the Via Della Rosa. So it's going to be a way that involves cruciformity, self-giving love, radically forgiving love, co-suffering love. All of those things we talked about in a more Christ-like God then um, expressed in In a human life as we see Jesus live it. And then Mm. he, and this is where I've pushed back for a decade or more at the word substitution. He does not walk this way instead of us. Yeah. He unites himself to us and calls us to walk this way with him. Yes. That we're united in his death and united in his life and united in his resurrection. And also that he's united himself to our way. To be, to what is it to be human in this world? And, mm-hmm. and he shows us the best way to do that. So, uh, huh. yeah, it's really worth playing with that word, isn't it? It's it fantastic. is really good.
4: I, uh, so I, I think the most powerful part of that, as I'm listening, uh, just, just for me, is like a way implies practices. Because a way implies movement. I can't be, uh, it does me no good to just sit in the middle of the street it's and not say static. I'm on the way. It's not static. Yeah. I, I'm only on the way if I'm moving on the way, if I'm following Jesus on the way. Mm. And I'm reminded uh, of another quote from, uh, from Dallas Willard this time, uh, who said, um, in relationship to what you talked about, like th- these false notions of substitution, of what that means, um, where he said, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus died on the cross so that we could join him there.
5: Yeah. Yeah, you're just quoting all the, the, the great culprits
4: of this kind of <laughs> yep. of discipleship,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. This is discipleship. They live, they live in my head. Uh, Very good. Yeah, so this book is about discipleship. And <laughs> yeah. and Brad, I know you, you talked a little bit last time you were with us about your journey from more of a Western Christianity to an Eastern expression of Christianity. Now you're an Eastern Orthodox theologian. What? Um, I, it seems to me, and I'm I'll, I'm not an uh, Eastern Christian, but it seems to me that the East has a greater appreciation and tradition for Christianity as a way than the West. Is that perception? Am I am I accurate in that perception?
5: Yeah, I wouldn't give them the monopoly on it because, for example, um, I believe that I first really woke up to this kind of idea of a way through the Mennonites, the Anabaptists, which wow. were definitely you know that's that's. A Western form, and also yes. West, Wesleyan kind of um, John Wesley, and right. but they're engaging with the East in this way that there was a kind of Latin Western um, Christian idea that it was so much about grace alone that there was little regard for participation. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was great suspicion of any participation. Whereas in the East, it is all about participation, about synergism, hmm. about about um, how I participate in the life of Christ, and that that to be Christian is is struggle, and so sometimes, like you get sort of in radical Lutheran grace movements, there's there's this idea that. You know, if you're seen to be struggling at all, that well, that's works and that's self effort yes. and so on, and yes. and and I kind of just have to call BS on that. And so, like, yes. what is what do the scriptures describe here? Mm. Certainly, Paul does not exemplify somebody who was not in in a lifelong struggle to participate in his own salvation. Yeah, right. Um, but it, and so, in, a metaphor I'll sometimes use is that. My grace friends will say, "Look at how much of the pie did you make? You made none of the pie." And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Well, okay, but you have to eat the pie." Right. <laughs> so it's a pie. <laughs>
4: um, the pie. Partake of this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And you don't and just so, um, you don't just put it on the wall and appreciate it and say, "Thank right. you, God, for making me a pie." You eat the pie that God made for you.
5: Right. Yeah. And, and the other element is that sometimes that idea in the West of imputed righteousness, this righteousness is an abstract proclamation in the heavenly realms that actually doesn't touch the way of your life. Right. And so I love guys like Paul Young and Baxter Kruger who talk about um, that, yes, the truth of our being is is that we're fully forgiven and reconciled and in Christ. But the truth of our being must also Become the way of our being, and that mm. actually generates real on the ground righteous um, transformation. And and yes, it's all grace that's doing the transforming. But then, it better transform. Yes, and that it has to be
4: effective. Yes,
5: yes, it has to be effective. And that's where that's where my book is a confessional. It's mm. like at the at I end up just kind of saying, "Lord, have mercy," because I I see, yeah, increasingly the. The the ways that I depart from the way and called off the way and regularly daily before my head left the pillow. My goodness, you know, and and uh, and then and then how to deal with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so what you're describing here then is taking these um, little cul-de-sacs or ditches we can fall into theological ditches that can do unhelpful work for us, then holding them up to the light of Christ and reclaiming a larger, deeper tradition that is apparent in the West. You know the Mm -hmm. Wesleyans' Methodism, Uh, you know the method of John Wesley is the way of Jesus, right? Discipleship. That's why it's called Methodism. Yeah. And the you know the Anabaptist Mennonites, but also then the Eastern tradition you're mining now, and what you're describing uh, is commonly referred to, Brad. This taking another look at something, getting underneath of it, jettisoning what's unhelpful, maybe reframing it, is commonly called deconstruction. And in your book, you sort of deconstruct deconstruction. Uh, <laughs> I do. <laughs> what what are the like? I don't know what like what bothers you about the way people typically talk about deconstruction?
5: Yeah. So the first thing is the way they typically talk talk about it is not what Derrida meant when he hmm. coined the term. What Jacques Derrida, the philosopher, probably what is he? Nineteen sixties. Yeah, um, something like that. Um, what he meant by it is let's slow down and examine our words and, uh, and examine our co- uh, about how how these words are loaded with power we need to be more, more mindful about the assumptions that hmm. we're bringing in that we're not entirely objective that we have biases and so let's just let's just look at what how we're talking and how we're engaging what so that's not what and that's in that sense i deconstruct deconstruction. I'm like let's slow down and think about what this word means and what kind <laughs> of things we import into it. Yeah. The second thing that bothers me about it is that it has been reduced to demolition and and often it's like this but the, the truth is that we do undergo deconstruction. It's not just something I necessarily do, it's something life may do to me. Yes. Um right. For some it's more like purposeful and they just throw a grenade in their in their um in their belief system or in, and so what i try to say is that we we need to think about um, what it is you think we're demolishing if we're going to use a metaphor that feels like jackhammers and dynamite mm. uh, like it's are are you deconstructing the The institution, show me where you've done that. Tell me one church that shut down because of you. Well, it's probably not that. Okay, well, then it's a belief system. (laughs) All right, so it's a belief system of your past. And and what is it you are replacing that with? Or maybe it's your heart. Do you really want to throw a grenade in your heart? Or how about maybe it's the faith once delivered to the saints. Do you even know what that is? Or maybe, maybe are you getting back to it, right? Yeah. So I offer yeah. I offer some alternative metaphors that may be gentler hmm. on the faith in order to conserve something good that is in us, to to be kind to our hearts and to make peace with our past. And in so doing, actually find traction moving forward on the way. Yes. And and That's so great yeah, I find that like if you have a trauma bond to er- your early religious PTSD, being angry at it is not letting it go. <laughs> That's
4: just... Say, so, yeah, say more about that. What do you mean by Brad, trauma Brad, bond? Brad, you,
2: you are going to save hundreds of people with what you're going to say here. I'm just saying, like this is so important. Having a trauma bond to your religious PTSD is a real thing, and you can't overcome or fix or resolve that by being angry at it. Yeah, no, so you
5: say- don't. You, you're, still, you're still living in it in some way. You're just now angry, but you're, you're still in that house. And so hmm. I would say, hmm. um, what if we could gently begin to, begin to do some healing work around the trauma itself until, un, until we both conserve the good of our past
4: hmm.
5: and so that even the dark, the shadow side of it would become a story that doesn't trigger us anymore? So, for example, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, we love to say the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That word does not trigger me anymore. Sinner is not my identity. Hmm. Sinner, sinner is a description of my daily need for mercy as I struggle forward on this way. Yes. I know I'm a son. I'm not confused about my identity in Christ, but do I still turn from love all the time? Okay, that's a sinner, and and as a sinner, I cry out for mercy, knowing that I have it. So I'm not begging no, God, I'm not grovelling. Yes. So, but I love to. Sometimes I'm just mean, I guess, and I will throw out that prayer uh, online, and then <laughs> the reactions are so volatile, and I'm like, and and they want to defend me on, like, you're not a sinner. It's like you're you still have a trauma bond to that word and yeah. all the junk that I yeah. was accumulated.
4: And you're it. projecting it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, practically speaking, I think for, if people are sort of recognizing themselves in this, I think it's maybe just worth, it's worth recognizing that any time I have a, a trigger response, like a reactivity to something from my past, whether it's that prayer or the identity as a sinner, that kind of thing, I think it's important to, what, what I hear you saying, Brad, is it, it's important to recognize uh, you're still stuck inside of it. If all you can do is react to it and be angry about it,
5: yeah, yeah, that, you've not, you've not left, you've not deconstructed at all.
4: Yeah, you've not actually <laughs> deconstructed. You you're just sort of raging against the machine now, and there is a there is a I, I think it's a word of hope as well because to say because that's kind of miserable to be stuck in the in the mm-hmm. middle of that, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a word of hope as well that there is there is a healing available to us. It's
5: yes, it's like it's it's your heart the trigger itself is is a kindness because it it is yes. alerting you like a yes. smoke alarm right. to an area where you need to to give attention to There's a wound. to your wounded heart well yes. that's an invitation Yes, and I, so I take that invitation to my spiritual director or my confessor or my mentors and and I'm like oh yeah I got triggered by this I was a bit i, I got all defensive and and, uh, and, and not just in me, but let's say if I'm triggered by somebody else, maybe maybe I'm projecting something in me that I hate, that I see in them now. And yeah, I, so yeah. I, I just use these as diagnostic tools um, in, my, in my journey. Yeah, am, That's I, really great.
2: am I wrong, Brad, to hear then? Because in your book, before you get to the way of Jesus, and after you deconstruct deconstruction, you, you name four counterfeit ways. And as you're talking about this trauma bond reacting angrily to the thing I'm no longer— but that keeps me in bondage to it. I yeah. I, I hear the way uh, the way that you mention of like retributive factionalism at work. Is, am I wrong yeah. to hear that?
5: You're right to hear that. Yeah. So, yeah. Explain yes. what that is. All right. So here's the deal: we have this powerful ideological spectrum that we call left and right, and we tend to identify ourselves somewhere on that spectrum, or we identify others on that spectrum, and and. But what I'm saying is the entire spectrum is the world system of retribution that others the other, that excludes the other and wants to silence the other. Mm. The whole, the whole spectrum does this. And so you can watch it um, if, if you stay on the spectrum. Let's say you're a right wing fundamentalist. You may become angry at right wing fundamentalism. But in that anger, you become a left-wing fundamentalist. So you're still a fundamentalist, yep. and and it's a, and and it's all about my, um, it has to do with how we view um, our highest moral imperative is about my rights and my freedom and my 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 my, my mm. and and anybody woe to anybody who is an obstruction to the way of my the way of me and I my and so and my it's team, very ridiculous.
4: my faction.
5: Right, my faction. It's and this is a. I had called it tribalism at first, but that seemed problematic for some folks because of First Nations issues. Oh yeah. And 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 then I realized actually, um, factionalism faction faction is a biblical word, and it's it's one of the fruits of the flesh, along with oh, malice,
2: yeah. rivalry, factions, factions malice, yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
5: Yes, all of that stuff happens, and so that's where you get polarization and and. The hard thing, though, is how do you transcend the spectrum but still stay engaged in justice work? So, for mm. example, <coughs> here's how it might look. Um, if I follow the Jesus way, I will, I will take care of my neighbor. I will love my neighbor as myself, and I will see, let's say, the immigrants and refugees as my neighbor, and I will see an, 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 a love obligation to them. Mm. And so I might be an advocate or an ally with them, but now I, someone else will come along and they will slot me as, "Oh, you're on the left on the on the refugee or immigration issue." I'm like, I'm kind of not on the left, but I guess we have a common we have a common cause at this moment. But the moment you get slotted onto the spectrum, yeah. you better you better be careful because now you're given a script by by that. Uh, strata of the spectrum you're given a script and if you go off script right. you will be blindsided from behind because they're still fundamentalists right yeah. mm. so that but that's the risk <laughs> of staying engaged yeah and so um there's this song that i quote in the in the book um is it tim mentions and, and and it's just like i'm afraid of i'm af- he becomes afraid of saying anything at all because his own tribe might turn on him
2: yes mm.
5: <laughs> and um there it is the tribalism right yes. so anyway uh I, I feel like that that all along all along that spectrum we also sometimes call it conservative and progressive it's still right. the spectrum yes. and so I, I, I resist those words because they they are not the way of jesus they are ideologies that try to co-opt his name at times but in the end If you end up having to make a choice between the ideology and Jesus, the ideology will demand you choose it. And so I'm watching a lot of my progressive friends walking away from Jesus, because now they've got an ideology, what do they need him for? Like, wow, wow, that's called apostasy, actually.
3: We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy.
2: There, there's a sense in which we serve, we serve these other gods, but we don't do it rejecting God, we do it co-opting God. So th-
5: yes. Right? And really, you create an idol. We use the word God, or even we use the name Jesus, but then we, we hollow him out and load him up with our party politics or the the talking points from our, yeah, for, for you know, as if that's Jesus. So, so these are some of the counterfeits that are, are troublesome.
2: Yeah, and you do a great job of laying these out, and they all they're all related. So they're not discrete buckets, but there's like we kind of have this bespoke counterfeit uh, buffet that we eat from. Uh, in our in our Western culture, I guess if I'm listening, Brad, and I'm he, I'm I'm placing myself caught on the horns. I know so many people who are caught on the horns of the right left binary. Mm-hmm. They yeah. feel like they have to choose between them, and they don't have a home. Like they maybe their theology is conservative, but their s- social ethic is more progressive, and they don't know what to do with themselves. Um, y- you lay out you lay out these characteristics of the way of Jesus. Like what? Where would you encourage someone to start? recovering or healing mm. from, from that counterfeit way?
5: Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I think, would be a, 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 good, a good place to start. And what I would do, what I did do that helped me, I don't remember if this is where I started, but it's a handle I use every day. I memorize the Beatitudes and I pray them every day. And the Beatitudes, that's the first section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Yes. Um, where we discover what the kingdom of God looks like in sort of this, this um, it's, it's a hidden biography of the life of Christ and especially of his passion. And so, mm-hmm. so blessed are the, the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I won't, I won't go through all of it, but right there, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is poverty of spirit? It is, it is emptying the self uh, in terms of self-centeredness, self-will. It's the ego. And so, so blessed are the poor in spirit. My, my mentor, Ron Dart, who was also my supervisor on my PhD, he, he translates it this way, that blessed are those who've learned to say no to the demands of the ego. Yeah, or yeah. Simone Ve connected with it with Kenosis in Philippians 2, That when right. Christ empties Himself, this is what it is to be poor in spirit. It's not just blessed are the sad people. Right. Um, there's, that's true at a sort of a, at a flesh level, but if you read it in the spirit, there, there's this idea that you've that the the ego has been emptied and it's been filled now with self-giving love. And then you just move on and, and you can put Jesus' name in these. But Jesus was poor in spirit. Jesus knew how to mourn. Jesus expressed real meekness. Yes. Jesus was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And he was merciful and he and he beheld the father and explained the father to us. And then. And then out of that, blessed are the peacemakers, and and mm. and then they are the ones who are going to be persecuted for the sake of justice and all of this. Mm. I would start there, and maybe um, I haven't memorized the Sermon on the Mount yet, but I, I know a fellow who's just he's just come out of uh, oh, it's more than a year in jail, real uh, in a real tough jail situation, and and in jail um, he memorized the Sermon on the Mount, and mm. it's it's become for him as the first part of the way back. It, wow, that's,
2: yeah. that's beautiful. I, I would just say like your treatment of the uh, the Beatitudes in this book, you even mentioned Dallas Willard in that treatment and how you kind of take what Dallas does and, and you deepen and extend it a bit, um, yeah. like including what he did. But, but I think going beyond that, and it's just, it's beautiful, Brad. And I think one of the reasons why, I, I think most of us don't know how to read the Beatitudes. Um, yeah. We turn them into prescriptions or we turn them into laws or rules or we or we basically um, begin to sort of idolize like people who are poor. We d- we don't know how to mm. hear them the way Jesus intended, and I think your treatment gives us ears to hear. Yeah,
5: yeah. I think if you even start with the word blessed, right? That's a passive verb. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just thinking out loud now, but hmm. in in terms of. Ron, Ron, Ron would translate as the life of God, the divine life. But the divine life is a passive verb. It's some. It's grace acting on me, grace mm. acting in me, and then I become these things as the as the recipient of grace. And so it's Jesus' version of the fruit of the spirit. It's these these mm. things aren't laws that I need to attain, but they are graces in in which I participate as the grace of the Holy spirit is transfiguring me from the inside out. This is what will show and it better show. And, and, and so at the end of the sermon on the Mount, he doesn't say it was sort of like what uh, Bonhoeffer's critique of Luther was that was that Luther was basically saying, you, you dare not obey the sermon on the Mount. Right, if right. you do, you're denying grace. Yeah. You're well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, It's it's the wise man who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears these words and does them. But then you're like, yeah, but it's such it's a righteousness that the Pharisees, what am I to do? It's like, what are your to do is to surrender to, to the work of grace in you, which in the East, we would call the Holy Spirit. Grace is not unmerited favor imputed you, into you in a heavenly courtroom. Grace is the Holy Spirit living inside of you, changing mm. you, and yes. producing poverty of spirit and the capacity yes. to mourn, and a character rooted in meekness, but also a hunger and thirst to do justice in the world. All of that yes. stuff. So. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That's really good.
2: Uh, around and under and through all of your treatment of these ways, and I, we won't we won't um, rehash your book. I just commend it heartily. But one of the things, Brad that struck me as I read it, all of these, all of these shifts, and the, the, the metaphors you use instead of deconstruction, like art renovation or home makeover, right, or a healing and renewing, like all of this renovation is pulling our attention back to, this is my word now, pulling our attention back to what is power and mm. how does it work? Mm. What mm. is power and how is it for? And it's a rehabilitation of our embodiment and participation and use of that power yes. from a way of the world to a way of Christ. Am I tracking with you? Would you say it's a good summary of what you're doing?
5: Yeah, in some ways. Um, I might I might tweak that a little bit using a state from a statement from when math in Matthew where Jesus calls the disciples. And it says that he you know, he's he's out there in the world and he's looking at these crowds and he sees that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he, he tells them, like, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth reapers into the fields. Okay, so to do what? It's, it's going to to shepherd these people who are harassed and helpless. And then he goes into the next chapter and that's where he calls the 12. And then when he calls the 12, it says he gave them authority. Hmm. Um, and, it, and and that authority, they use it to overcome all the power of the evil one. And so so maybe we could even draw a distinction between God-given an authority and worldly power because yeah. because mm-hmm. attached to worldly power is a kind of coercion. Um, it is it is about force. It is about domination. It is about oppre- ultimately oppressing because that's what power does. And so he doesn't give them power over the power. He gives them authority. And, and, and so that seems uh, his authority is rooted in submission to the Father, mm. surrender to the Father, walking the Jesus way. And and so you can kind of almost see like yeah, it's, there's this overcoming element, but it's but it's not worldly power. And so even even to talk about it as, as a kingdom or hit or to talk of Jesus as a king, we should almost always use scare quotes with it, right? That right. he's a king, he, but he's not like a king. He's a subversive, ironic king. He's a king that ascends yeah. and is enthroned on a cross. And so he's the youngest,
2: he's the youngest and the shortest and he's out in the field.
5: Very good. Yeah. And even like in Revelation, it's the the elder says to John in his, in his vision, you know, behold the lion of, of the tribe of Judah. So that's a, that's imagery for overcoming and power. Right. But then he looks and it's like, so I looked and I saw a lamb as if slain. And so, so the victory embodied in that lion um, comes through a means, which is, Self-giving, sacrificial love yes. embodied by the the lamb. So the the means the means of our authority is not you know. So I think I th- yeah. And generally you you've you've captured the issue, um, but I'm just thinking authority power language might help us distinguish.
2: Yeah, I love that distinction because I think that there is there is such a redefining of what power is, and how it's embodied and, and taken, and we see it all through. You see it all through the Gospels how Jesus is is destroying in with love people's misunderstandings of what his power will do and what he, who he is based upon that.
5: Yeah, and even mm. he, I mean, he'll even I suppose he, we've got weird ideas of authority now, right? We even have words like authoritarian. But he says he says that in my kingdom, you're not going to lord it over or exercise authority over. Mm. So he just demonstrates his authority as foot washing. And you're yes. just like, okay, you've just completely blown the whole thing to sh- to shreds, and it's gorgeous and marvelous. And I wonder if there, if we could if we could really take to heart Dostoevsky's, um, his exhortation, really, in The Brothers Karamazov, where in in the Grand Inquisitor story, the this Grand Inquisitor arrests Jesus during right. the Spanish Inquisition for healing a little girl. And he puts him in prison, and then he explains to Jesus why G- why the church has said yes to the temptations of the devil in the wilderness, mm. and 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 that why Jesus should have too. But and, and um, yeah. because where Jesus said no to worldly power, we've often said yes to it in many yeah. many ways.
4: Yeah, yeah, and that that scene that scene is uh, incredibly. Haunting.
2: It's one of the best chapters it's, ever written in Western literature. It's, it's incredible
4: yeah. because he, he, the, the Inquisitor basically knows it's Jesus and basically is like, yeah, like you didn't really get us started on the right foot, but we've taken care of things now. <laughs> yeah, so you know yeah. you're no longer needed here, Jesus. Your way right. of the cross and your resisting temptation. Uh, it was actually kind of a bad idea. We thanks met, for securing... We've decided that it was a bad Thanks for securing
2: our justification, yeah, but now yeah. we'll take over world domination. <laughs> yeah,
4: and in a sense, it
5: was a it was an Eastern critique of Western Christianity. Oh, it, right. It, I mean, he's a know, Russian Because Dostoevsky's author. Orthodox, right? But yep. and, and, and he's, of course, not seeing how the Orthodox will fall into all the same traps and ultimately oh, sure. get in bed with Putin, you know? <laughs> so, right. Right. <laughs> right, yeah.
2: Well, maybe bringing it then full circle... Um, meditating on the Sermon of the Mount, uh, but wanting to practice a way rather than just assent to a concept. Mm, So I can can assent to self-giving love, but not have to practice any of it. Mm. Brad, maybe as we close, like, man, so many of us have convictions about authority versus power and self-giving love and kenosis and compassion and hospitality, but we find our bodies not ready to do any of it. Um, How do we begin to live our ways into aligning with increasingly what we're convicted of?
5: Well, that's where a way really does help. I've chosen one that's not for everyone. Uh, The way I've chosen is 12-step recovery. And so Hmm. just to reiterate the first three steps, like step one of it is, and and this is meant for everyone. I don't think this is just for addicts, but... um, as a management addict with like who crashed and bought him out. Uh, I saw number one that I, I admitted that I was powerless over my addiction and that my life had become unmanageable. In other words, self-will, this, this will, the, the way is not lived in self-will. Self-will got us in trouble in the first place. Mm. So you recognize your personal powerlessness over the human condition. Mm. Second, we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves And also, greater than our addiction, a power greater than ourselves who could restore us to sanity. So, there's an admission that we are in that when we try to live life as the director of this play, that we are in a state of insanity and it doesn't work. Hmm. But we came to believe implies that maybe there's a process by which our eyes are open. Maybe it won't be a Damascus Road experience, but we begin even by even by praying as if there's a God, right? <laughs> the, the serenity prayer, for example, yeah. um, God, give me, you, you know, well, I won't go into it all, but, the, but, but we, we pray in, in praying in a practice of daily prayer, we begin to see that maybe there is a God who, who can do what I can't do. And then step three, it is my invitation. This is how I would do evangelism. Basically, that we, 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 become willing to surrender our lives. We make a decision to surrender our lives to the care of a loving God. So Mm -hmm. what is, so daily surrender hour by hour surrender. And in in cases where I, you know, I have friends where it's minute by minute surrender, not to God's control, not to, but to his care and to go, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm surrender. I, I'm powerless over this thing, but I'm not powerless to turn to him. And Mm -hmm. so repentance is not about self-loathing and beating oneself up repentance is about turning towards the light of love that wants to hold you and and, uh, and to shine on you in dark times it's just mm. a turning back to the light with yes. my whole life yes and then what will that what experiencing that grace then um how how would grace ask me to live today mm. um in not alone but in in fellowship with with my with my fellowship with my neighbors with my family and um and then and then i can just say oh my goodness i'm not so good at this lord have mercy lord have mercy lord have mercy
4: but then making those little those little choices that that are not self will so it's not trying harder to do a new better thing it's a it's it's first of all surrendering to god's care (laughs) but then also um
5: and to each other's care, who embody yes. God's care, right? Yeah. So, what will God's care will look like? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So for me, that means I'm I am i i I need to participate though, and so that might just right. mean texting my godfather. Like I can do that. I, maybe yes. I can't say no to all the temptations, but I can text my godfather, and I will hear. Mm-hmm. I will hear a voice of divine care coming yes. through. And yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, that's re- that's really good. We, we we teach people to do the same thing in our um in our cohorts as well that that just sort of acting acting as if something is true is believing yep. that it is true. Yeah. And and taking a small step like texting your godfather or reaching out and and you know just got a, a text last night from somebody a, a friend of ours who And this, you know, this, we're like a few days when we're recording this a few days into social distancing and all this kind of crazy stuff with COVID. And, you know, he just texted last night and said, I am really, I'm feeling really, really discouraged about my parenting right now. And I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And that, that is an act of faith to trust that there's something on the other side of that, right? That, that it's not up to me and it's not up to me to like, okay, work harder, try, try harder tomorrow to be a better parent. But it's saying I, I'm powerless against these things that are hindering my my parenting right now, um, and I need God's grace, uh, and I'm trusting that I'm going to get it if yep. I text my friends.
2: Yeah,
5: yeah. Even just vo- even voicing it is then part of the program, right? That's it's, right. It's, yes, because um, you're because you're moving out of alienation into communion. Yes. It, even just by hitting send. That's right. Even yeah. if you don't get back to them till the next day, that's it's an act of communion. And it's an act of dependence yes. and it's a rejection of self-will Ugh. and ego. Ugh, beautifully and put that's half the healing right there. That's right? It.
4: That's yeah.
2: it. Sending the text <clears> is <throat> half the healing. And it's what we really need great. is a vision for that. Like vision for sending that text is realigning my life from the lie of isolation and self-willfulness to the bedrock of reality, which is the Trinity. Like I'm realigning my life into relationship and connectedness with love. Because mm. yeah. I don't throw myself into the off that cliff of that text if I'm going to receive judgment. Or dismissal yeah. or condemnation. I just don't yeah. do it.
1: Yeah.
5: yeah. You know, Fleming Rutledge, she, she's brought some new helpful um, um, language to this. So we used to talk about Christianity as a personal relationship, but that could just like mean private piety. Right. She's using the language now of living connection. And so mm. I experienced that in my prayer life, but I'm also experiencing that then like in those in yes. horizontally. Yeah. Where is living connection helping? And maybe now that. That we're in a in a crisis where alienation was already a disease out here. Yeah. But now that alienation has, it looks like a virus, and and we've woken up to resist it. Mm. Uh, what an incredible opportunity this is! Then say so mm. we we just gave alienation a green light. Ever since radical individualism started, right. it had a green light. We didn't even oppose it. We yeah. kind of reveled in it, and mm. and now now it now it looks like. COVID-19 and and we're going, I will not put up with this. I'm going to push back and and uh, I'm going to find ways to have living connection. And wow, I can't wait to experience touch again. Right, you know, so right, right. Uh, this could be the silver lining on a very dark cloud.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Well, we appreciate you spending time with us. We hear all the time that people feel like they know us because we have conversations that they listen in on on these podcasts. Yeah. yeah. So even this practice here of having this conversation today, Brad, is our own middle finger to social isolation and the God of this world. Uh, Amen. It's a loving middle finger. I mean, it's a middle finger. Yeah. In, no, we really, appre- <laughs> we really appreciate you. Deconstruct this buddy. <laughs> we really appreciate you t- taking the time to be with us To And this book is a wonderful, I uh, hardly commend it a more Christlike yeah. way, how to create habits and practices of self-giving love in the way of Jesus bearing his authority, Mm -hmm. and eschewing the power of the world. Yeah, Uh, Brad, God bless you. Stay safe. Thank you very much for having me.
4: And blessings on the uh, a more Christ-like word. That is a very necessary book as well. So, blessings on the writing. Live live long and prosper.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt and ben hardman. Aaron Sternkey does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsturky.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media, and don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com/join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at Catch you next time.